Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival, where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at WorldArchFest. Because uh, we have um, a, a lecture uh, on performance and performance and architecture in a number of different categories, three different categories, uh, by I think one of the world's really uh, major architects, uh, Louisa Hutton of uh, Saarbrück Hutton. Uh, Louisa uh, is a graduate of the Architectural Association in London, as of course so many British and, and leading architects across the world are. She worked with Peter and Alison Smithson. Uh, I think a fascinating, but not, not always entirely straightforward experience. And um, uh, so, and and uh, and then set up practice Sarvak Hutton uh, with uh, Matthias Sarvak in 1988 in London, um, and then having won the GSW competition in 1993, moved the practice to Berlin. Uh, and most of their major buildings are in Germany, uh, different parts of Germany. Uh, also working in uh, Italy, uh, and always keeping a connection with the UK. Uh, having done some years ago uh, a building for Sheffield University, uh, and finished just over a year ago a major but really very elegant and beautiful commercial building in the city of London. So please welcome. Louisa to the stage. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Um, I sort of would wish we were in a smaller room that was a bit more intimate, but anyway, uh, here we go. Um, uh, our office in Berlin, of course, it's not just Matthias and myself. We have uh, fantastic partners and associates. We have a fantastic team, two of whom are sitting in the front, an ex-team member on the right. So uh, please, it's not just my work. Um, what I want to talk about is, uh, as uh, Jeremy mentioned, it's three aspects of how we see performance in architecture. The first is maybe the most obvious, which is um, sustainable performance. Um, but for us, actually, sustainability is not just the technical aspects, but it's also to do with um, how the, the different scales of the building in the city and the building and the individual, the well-being of the individual. Um, and with uh, this short chapter on uh, sustainable performance, you'll see I'm going to illustrate it through four projects none of which I can explain properly, of course, because that would be a lecture each, but I'm just sort of picking aspects out of them, so please bear with me. Please ask questions at the end. Um, and you will see a progression of uh, thinking. So whereas the first project is, some of you may know it, the GSW headquarters in Berlin, that we won actually in 91, but we moved in 93. Um, and we were, the site was this rather forlorn sort of submission uh, building that had been conceived in the um, early 50s in the spirit of optimism of Hauptstadt Berlin and the rebuilding of Berlin, the rebuilding of Germany indeed. And you even see Willy Brandt, who was the mayor of Berlin at the foundation stone, and I, we found this photograph very moving because it shows the seriousness on people's faces. You can see that the area of Berlin was totally flattened. There's nothing existing. Um, and uh, the idea of the optimism, people wearing hats at the um, uh, Hansa Viertel, 1957. Basically, so the building uh, that you saw on that other slide that was taken in 91 had been conceived in 57 
and finished in 1961 in the spring. And of course, the wall went up uh, very soon uh, afterwards. And the building indeed was uh, very close to the wall, and this changed the uh, position of it. Literally, it became, uh, it became on the edge of Berlin. Um, another building was added soon after the Springer High Rise in the uh, mid-60s uh, that you can see at the right-hand side of the photo, um, with its nose, literally the northern edge, right up on the death strip. And on the other side of what we, the, the, the strip between the two walls, then appeared four double towers in the um, political east to the north. And what we noticed at the time when we looked at the GSW building, to begin with, we thought we should demolish it because it was so ugly, their existing building. And I should say GSW is a social housing association um, who inherited the building uh, in the early 60s because it was unlet, nobody wanted to use it. And um, we noticed that there was a kind of dialogue going on, uh, which we called the dialogue across the wall. So it was a a sort of dialogue of the tall buildings over and above the 22-meter level of the Berlin uh, famous Traufhöhe. And um, we decided that we knew that the so-called death strip would be filled in and ba basically eradicated uh, in terms of memory. And so we wanted to uh, make a proposition to include the old building in a new composition with a tower um, to continue this conversation. At the same time, the tower, there's a painting by Matthias, by the way. So here you can see the conglomerate with the old building, the square one, 16 stories, and the new slab, very thin, next door of 22, a couple of low rises, and the pillbox. So we wanted to draw the old building into the new composition to give it uh, a new life. Uh, you could say, here you see old and new uh, from the east, uh, from the Springer High Rise, actually. And of course, one of our main uh, drives in this building was a sustainable agenda. And this is because it, partly because it was written in the brief and the client didn't expect to get a high rise. They were thinking they would get low rises. All the other competitions, competition entries were low rises, which were literally strangling the existing building with the same amount of square meters, a total of 40,000. So we uh, took Arup along with us to Berlin, who established themselves in Berlin uh, at the same time. And the aim was to save around 40% uh, energy in the consumption, the, the, the energy consumption of the building as compared to a traditional building. And of course, the most, and I can only do this very roughly now, but the most obvious feature of the facade that is dealing with uh, this energy saving is the aspect of natural ventilation, which we decided to make uh, very visible and legible and uh, almost joyful, one could say, not be embarrassed about uh, the fact of uh, contributing to the environment on the west facade where we have the colored shutters. Mm -hmm. So the buffer zone of the west, which is about a meter deep, um, it, of course, uh, um, uh, acts like a thermal jacket. On both sides, actually, we have a thinner one on the east facade. The main function, of course, is to work as a thermal flue to draw the air slowly through across the narrow section of the building and up to the top of the building um, with a change in pressure differential. Of course, on the west side, the building is generally warmer than the east, and it's shaded in the, on the east by the existing tower. That was all... Uh, good fortune for us. And of course, we have other aspects like using the thermal mass of the concrete, etc., and um, 
having a maximum of daylight penetration to minimize the use of energy. Here you can see the concrete slabs and the integrated construction with the sprinklers um, and the uh, precast uh, floor and in situ columns. And <clears throat> we wanted to create an environment inside where people would feel very much at home, so to say, in their office space and able to operate the sliding shutters themselves for their own space, independent of everywhere else, the shutters slide and pivot. And so uh, while on the east side, the facade is almost, you could uh, say as a metaphor, it's like a porous skin. It's where the air is coming in. On the west side, it's more like a fur. It's more three-dimensional, um, and you see with the uh, shutters. And this leads to an urban image that on one hand, in the, in the winter, obviously, you want the sunlight in and you don't need the shades, whereas in the summer, to name two extremes, um, you get a fully shaded building. And what we very much like is that this idea of the building becoming a sort of dynamic urban painting through the actions of its inhabitants. So to do with well-being, not only for the big energy balance of the building, but also for the individual and indeed um, for the city in terms of the memory of that building at that place, why it shouldn't have been knocked down. And I'm glad to say we didn't. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the thermal flue is uh, driven by the uh, wind, helps, the, the, the drive is helped by the wind roof. You get a Venturi effect as the wind passes over the uh, section here. And um, in the end, we would like the building to be read as a kind of, we, we say, like a soft machine. And uh, yeah, of course, we use technology, but we like the softness in a very uh, practical approach of using primary elements like the construction, the concrete, the orientation of the building, the direction of the wind, etc. So it's yeah, hopefully contributing to the life of the city. Um, <clears throat> the next project, so these are in a sort of progression, a mental progression of thinking about sustainability, is the KFW. Credit for Vida Aufbau Bank in Berlin, which was formed after the war uh, to help, it's a bit like the World Bank, to help rebuild, um, uh, first of all, areas in Germany, and now it works as a World Bank. And they have many buildings in Frankfurt, and we were, won a competition for one site, um, which is this one. And here we, in fact, went for a hybrid system. Um, let me explain that. So. Uh, the building, um, it's situated on the edge of a park, which is quite nice. The little squat buildings are where the um, chairman and his people are, are sitting of the bank, and they wanted to keep their views out onto the street, and they wanted to remain visible, as you can see uh, here on that slide. You see the little gray building in the background. Um, but here we have a much deeper plan than at GSW. And uh, in fact, instead of taking the air vertically up for natural ventilation drive, as we do in GSW, we take it horizontally. And, and with uh, engineers Transcellar, we created a so-called pressuring around the building, um, which is uh, cut off floor by floor. So each floor is a package of air that's traveling from um, southwest to northeast. You can see the windrows and the form of the plan there. Um, so you, you obviously get a pressure differential, again, working on plan. And, um, uh, while you would open uh, a lot of the uh, shutters according to the various uh, wind and sun conditions, um, and 
let me explain here. So this is obviously a rendering, but it shows it more clearly. The air coming in, with a, the shutters are closed here or open. It's very simple in a way, kind of Heath Robinson, but not. Um, and so what looks like a normal facade on the outside, on the inside, you get this depth. Uh, thickness that varies slightly because of the uh, zigzags um, that you saw on this slide to which face the on incoming air to open for the wind. So when you're in your office, you just open the window um, and you open it obviously not to the outside but into this zone. Um, as you can see here. And in addition, we're obviously using uh, the thermal mass and activated um, elements. Uh, however, the clients, being a bank, they sort of wanted belt and braces. And so we did everything for them, and it really is a hybrid building. So it has two fully running systems. It has a mechanical system and this uh, natural system, and it also uses a lot of recycled energy from the reconcentrum, from the computer center, et cetera, and the fresh green air from the park. There are many, many aspects of the total sustainable picture. But the point I want to make in this blitz, uh, super short presentation of this project, is that we felt in the end that to do a double system is a bit like having a, a, a hybrid car where you have two types of engine. So you have a double investment at the beginning, and it's not as economical as making a decision at the beginning and saying, OK, I'm going to go either all natural or all mechanical. Obviously, we would hope for all natural. So although we very much support our ideas in this building and are very glad that we did it and it won a nice prize and everything like that, in the end, it's quite um, extravagant in every aspect of the word. Here you see it from the back, by the way, where you don't see the zigzags and you therefore see no color and uh, from underneath. Um, so it's um, another step from GSW, a different type. Now here at the, this is a building in, in Hamburg for the authorities in Hamburg and for the city authorities, their own building. And basically you see a valley here called uh, Wilhelmsburg. It's a suburb of Hamburg. It's actually very central. And we won a competition where the client wanted to, at this place, have a, a sort of an iconic building, a marker for their large amount of offices and public spaces showing the city model. And they wanted to use this building as a sort of catalyst for the development of the area. And it's located also parallel to a train uh, line, you can see, and they built a bridge across from the station. And there is um, our building sort of anchoring the site. And, um, here, we sort of went completely the other way and said, let's go as completely natural as possible. And you can see there's a series, apart from the, the, the tower, there are a series of seven atria for the sort of working groups of the organization. And there we do, of course, natural ventilation through the atria and have uh, solar blinds that are effective in solar shading and bringing the light in. And all the sort of, I mean, fairly standard uh, things one can think about, including activated slabs. Um, so here you have the summer, and uh, in the winter one would close the windows, not let the cold air in, because then you have to heat it, etc. So it's a, it's a very uh, sensible, sort of quite passive system, I would say, and also good on the cost front and good on the um, energy front in every aspect. So here's one of those uh, atria, lots of timber on the inside. Tanya knows this very well. I think Michaela does too. <laughs> and uh, you see this series of, uh, um, yeah, 
Dellen waves on the building. The other side is almost more beautiful, but I haven't got a slide. It's very soft curves. It's all green on the back. And of course, it's such an enormous building that we wanted to create a slight change in identity in terms of the color as you go along. And here is where you see it from the train. OK, that was chapter three. Then the, the last one in this little series on um, the performance of, uh, or sustainable performance of buildings is a completely different kettle of fish altogether. And in a way, I wouldn't say we have like a favorite building like a favorite child, but it's a, maybe a favorite attitude. And here, um, sorry about the big names, it helps me sort the slides on my computer. We were dealing with a building for Munich Re, um, uh, Munchener Rook, who bought this. I mean, we can't say it's ugly, building on the Ring Road in uh, Munich. It had been um, owned by Siemens Nixdorf. And um, they stipulated that the building structure had to stay and had a competition, which we were lucky enough to win. And basically, that was the building as it was. And you can see it has incredibly deep plans, 18 meter deep which is very unusual for a building finished in 1984. And so basically, the architecture became one of subtraction, where we were cutting away the concrete and bringing light down into the depth of the building. Um, as you can see here, we're enjoying the different concrete, whether it was precast or in situ, and looking at the textures um, of the concrete and creating atria and additional uh, working spaces for the client. So you can see the uh, principle is that we uh, you probably can't count the floors so quickly, but we could add an extra floor on top because it was lightweight structure. And of course, we added an up-to-date facade um, that would uh, deal with many uh, uh, sustainable aspects of the building, including thermal performance and ventilation and things. Um, in terms of the aesthetic of the building, what we really didn't like were these big concrete cores, which we've shown in yellow on the left-hand slide, which are projecting. And of course, we couldn't change those because we didn't want to knock anything down um, as serious as a concrete core that's structural, obviously. So we did a facade that we would say is a sort of shrink wrap, uh, as you can see on that sketch. And it's made of elements that, on plan, shift a little bit each time to produce the curves for the shrink wrap. And indeed, it does the same um, in section very slightly. So you end up with, uh, so that was the competition drawing and the competition rendering. And you end up with um, a building that begins to work in a way, in terms of one's perception with it. And here we go back to well-being or one's bodily. I'll come on to that with my third chapter. But one's relationship to architecture. Uh, it's a notion of um, kinetic polychromy that we've been following in a few buildings. And of course, uh, it's a contradiction to show kinetics anything on a still image. But there you go. We tried. And um, so here is the building as seen along the road. Of course, you do travel fast. And on other, other parts of the building, you would see uh, different facades. And in fact, we did the building so that if you walk along this yellow facade, by the time you get to the end, if you turn around, you'd actually see the reds. You're, you have to visit it. Um, so it was quite an, a kind of fun thing to do. But what I haven't told you is the, the, the amazing fact about this building is that through recycling um, the structure, not knocking it down, not making new concrete, and not having it delivered to the site, et cetera, et cetera, we saved the client one year in construction, about 6 million euros or 17% of the cost. And then the most astounding um, 
measure for me is that not doing uh, the new building saved the equivalent of 34 years of uh, heating energy, of primary energy for the building, for this large building. And that's considerable. But of course, until there's an energy tax, it's not something that the client gets in their pocket. So it's a sort of uh, attitude that we hope will get more pervasive in terms of a responsible client. Um, the next two chapters are shorter, so we will still have time for a chat. In terms of the building in the public space, I'm going to show very briefly Brandhorst Museum in Munich and the M9 in Venice, which is under construction. Um, what I want to explain is why the building is the way it is in the urban space. So you can see the site on the historical plan, we have the um, army barracks that was built by Maximilian at the same time as his Alta Pinacotec, uh, the first public art gallery, I think, in Europe. Uh, so he had the sort of the army and culture together. Uh, it wasn't destroyed in the war. As you can see on the right, that's a post-war image of our corner where you can see the site. But um, the uh, Munich residents knocked it down. At the same time, sh uh, well, beforehand, actually, in 19... 51, Sepp Roof, one of the best German post-war architects or operating post-war, built this really beautiful housing. And you can see it there with the caserna and here without. And he set it back from the street. It's again this attitude of looking at what's there, seeing what's found and working with it. And what we liked about this gesture is the respect for the new residents to give them space, to take them away from the noise. And in our massing of the building, we put the taller head at the corner in a way, in a memory of the Torkengazerna, but also in a sort of retrospective integration of the set roof. So sort of going forward and backwards in, in history. And you can see the uh, Pinacotec de Moderna, the large building by Stefan Braunfels with the circular hall. That has a diagonal entrance and we made a diagonal entrance effectively to the museum district through our northeastern corner to try and strengthen this part of uh, Schwabing, this district. I'll cut too much detail because we don't have so much time. As you see, it's a three-level building, three different ways of getting light in, natural light. It's mostly for paintings. And of course, on the top, you want to cut the light out. Unilaterally, we can get light in on the side through a 45-degree glass with prisms inside, which is re uh, light is refracted and then reflected um, off the parabola and then through shading devices, or you can get light down into the studio. I just want to talk again about its appearance in the public space. So we have the we divided the building into three volumes optically to break it down to not have a large monolithic mass. Inside, there's the public foyer. You've just come in this entrance from the set roof. And then you can see through to the museum. So there's a very big, there's a, there's a clear divide between the foyer space, the neck, and then the staircase, and the six rooms, like a collection of rooms. Which, um, so here's the staircase. You're already in the museum. It's very clear circulation. You either go around on one floor, or you go up or down. And all timber, a very uh, a nice, uh, atmosphere, the ground floor with its louvers, the lower floor, which is more like an artist's studio, the patio. And upstairs, there's a very special room, which is 
the reason why the head of the building has this trapezium shape, which is where we put a panorama of 12 paintings by Twombly, the Lepanto cycle, which is the one room that's fixed in its hanging. So maybe when one comes upstairs, one realizes why the form of the building is the way it is. It has soft, swept curves. But the point of this plan here is so that you can see that right at the end, at the bottom right corner where the big windows are, but that's relating to the floor below, is a lounge here. By that time, you can look out back to the Alto Pinacotec, to the eastern, to the eastern end, which used to be the original entrance where these two diagonal routes. So it's a kind of, I, th I think what we're trying to do is anchor the building in the site in terms of the site's history and memories at the same time as um, creating a volume and uh, surfaces of the building, well, the surfaces in particular, that delight the eye and the body. I'll come on to that. Um, the paint, mostly paintings, 20th century is when uh, line and color uh, diverged. You could say a classical building would traditionally show its contents or talk of its contents on the classical frieze. Here we decided to try and reveal this with the color. We had an additional constraint, which was noise absorption. I won't go into the detail why. So we ended up with a facade that could absorb the sound. So while flat on, it's sort of woven with horizontal and vertical, when you look sideways, you see that the back panel is angled, bent, um, um, perforated metal, which has got some holes in, which are perforated with felt behind to absorb the uh, street sound. But so, and obviously our three color families for the three volumes, the three optical volumes. Um, and we were looking at the ideas of Chevroy, the chemist who worked with the Gobelin factory, and basically realized that he had the law of simultaneous contrast, but in terms of finding out which colors to put with which, we were very much interested in this idea of the mix, the optical mix. And the further away you are, the more the building gets totally, I mean, it's all obvious, but gets very neutral, blends in with the sand colors of its surroundings. And the closer you get, the more the colors become apparent of the skin. And it's a ceramic glazed sticks. And until you can really touch them, and in fact, the two sticks on the right are the same color glaze, just on two different tone earth backgrounds, so on blue, on white, and on uh, red. So it's somehow very sort of haptic, optic, corporeal one's relationship with the building as you walk along it anamorphically. But our favorite image of it is actually by an artist, Ola Kölemeinen, um, which captures the movement and the haptic qualities. Um, in Venice, which I'll do faster, we're working in Mestre, where um, most Venetians live, of course, and a center, uh, city, city center site that includes an old convent, the brown one, the brown rectangle, and, um, our, and it's very close to the Duomo and the main piazza. Uh, here you can see the convent on the right, its courtyard, an office building, and basically our aim was to inject the urban tissue with life and the main idea in order to do that was to split the museum into two buildings. You see the big black triangle and the little one to create a route through, to bring that through through the courtyard and then up to Piazza Ferretta. So creating um, 
routes through a piece of city that actually had been blocked before. And there's also um, east-west routes, which I'm not showing here. And then we put a, a shading uh, device in the courtyard that is not sealed. So this effectively is the project with the new museum obviously here, an ancillary building, a little piazzetta, little shops and things. And then the courtyard, well, this is a drawing to show all the public activities. So we want people to walk through and really to, that all the activities within the new building and the old building really generate, generate um, interactive public life, public performance of the building. Um, and of course, there's a curator of what will happen in there. And here you can see all the routes through the neighboring areas. So it's really to do with urban tissue, urban grain. Um, and here are some of these small uh, routes into the building and along the main entrance. The landscape feeling of the foyer, big diagonal stairs going up. It's a museum of the 20th century, black box in the middle, and we have public facilities on the ground, and a daylight. This is the diagonal route up, a daylight room on the top for temporary exhibitions. And then you can come out and you can look over the city of Mestre, which itself is an illustration of the 20th century, which in Italy was very colorful. And of course, we hope that our addition to the city is not this, but this, which is sort of uh, the authentic addition to city life, and with the client doing many outreach programs and uh, education through the museum, we very much hope it'll become anchored and embedded in the city and be for the people who live there. Um, the last small little chapter, which is even shorter than the last one, um, it's called Atmospheres, which I hope you might have noticed just through some of the images, for those of you who don't know our work, is incredibly important to us. Um, and while it's maybe more easy to create an interesting atmosphere in a small London conversion, um, where the project is very simple, with a larger project, a public project, with a huge number of ambitions, particularly when the client is the federal, federal uh, agency of the environment, it's much more complex. And nevertheless, in spite of the fact, so this is the Federal Environmental Agency in Dessau, in spite of the fact that we're dealing with many, many aspects, both technical um, and to do with the sustainable uh, credentials of the building, and I won't go th through them all except to mention the five kilometer long um, labyrinth in the earth for tempering the air, is that in spite of doing all of this, and here you can see some of the air inlets that was an artist um, competition. Our main drive is really atmosphere, both the atmosphere of the building in the city and the atmosphere of the building inside, how it feels to be in there, how it feels to work there as someone who works there all the time. And we, in fact, I get very moved every time I see this slide because I love it. It is, I have to say, it's a really amazing building. <laughs> it's sort of you know, I th think people do enjoy living there, working there. And we heard on the first day of the opening that they used to work in a classical building in Berlin with a corridor with no windows. And somebody said in the first two weeks, he met more colleagues than he had done in 10 years. So it's somehow, yeah, nice to create places that people feel they have a uh, connection to. And this is another view where the building gets very narrow. Um, we hope the building is getting bedded into its site. This is when it was brand new, and now it's looking nice and aged with a weathered uh, facade. And whether it's sitting in the park, 
as you can see, we're pulling a park through the site, which wasn't on the brief. Um, we hope that maybe when people get this view, now it's more weathered, and you see the station on the right, that you might remember that there used to be some train tracks here, that's the station on the right, leading to the landscape garden of Wurlitz, which was the first English landscape garden in Dessau by the Duke Franz in the late 18th century, who was busied himself with ideas of the Enlightenment and wanted people to uh, enjoy, um, enjoy these. And in the same way that uh, Repton would work with his uh, notebook showing his clients the as found and how to work with it, we hope maybe that a bit of this inspiration of the as found on this site and the atmosphere of nature, the atmosphere of the timber is um, apparent to those who visit the building. And we hope that the users also enjoy embedding themselves in their place. And a small church on the edge of Cologne, a Protestant church in a Catholic city, fantastic site with this ring of trees. The two buildings on the north of the, the top of the slide uh, were being uh, demolished for a new timber church for two communities. This is the ring of trees about one meter above the ground street level. And as you can see, we, we treat the church, which has a relatively large body, let's say, um, as one of the trees, that it's coming into this circle of trees like a visitor, like a person standing around. And we use the circle of trees as the foyer or even as an outside uh, congregational space. And it's also a route through to the cemetery. Um, so it's very much the, the atmosphere we wanted to create is one of in a way, the building nestling into the nature of this uh, ring. And you can see on plan how we're doing that by cranking the form uh, towards the trees. Um, in section, you'll see that it's made of uh, prefabricated laminated timber um, frames. Um, and here you see the building from the, approaching from the street or from behind, there's a little chapel on the right from the cemetery, and here you can see, I like this slide because you can see the crank, and of course it's clad in timber too. Um, and much lower side wings for uh, ancillary spaces, and the, the bell uh, tower seen on the two streets. Um, there's really one idea inside the church, which is the, the idea of light. So while on the... Um, Above the entrance, the traditional rose window position in, in a Gothic cathedral, here we're using tracery, the tracery of leaves that are outside, the trees outside, to cast shadows on matte glass, and we get light coming through there in the east. Uh, at the altar, we do, the, we do something different, and we have a skylight coming down over a colored screen whose colors gradually get lighter and paler as they go up, so it's sort of the movement of color is supported by the fall of light. And um, in terms of atmosphere, of course, it's impossible to show you. I'm trying to talk to you about atmosphere, but you have to be there. And in fact, you not only have to be there, but you have to hear the music because there's an organ behind this screen. And the whole building is timber. Everything is timber except the concrete floor. And the building really does vibrate like a musical instrument. And you sort of feel you're in this um, amazing polyphonic thing that's the, the, the building is, is like an instrument. It's very moving to uh, hear. Um, and here we are looking back towards the uh, tracery that comes from the leaves on the um, uh, window above the stairs, above the entrance. 
One needs to smell the timber. I, I should have brought timber spray with me. Um, uh, or a detail of the screen. Very, it was a super low budget project. It was meant to be a concrete building. We changed it for the budget. So this is uh, just painted MDF. Um, the little chapel, the timber is in a different uh, direction. Instead of being vertical, we have a horizontal lamination. And it's um, brushed with wire, so it has a texture. And you see the falling light on it, um, or with people. So yeah, that's it. So we, yeah, we just um, make atmospheres. So I hope there's some time for some questions. We, we, have, we, have, we have a few minutes. It's probably best if we have a dialogue on the, on the stage here, if you'd like to sit Me down you. here. Yep. Um, it's very difficult to see anyone from the audience, I'm afraid. So if you really do want to ask a question, perhaps come up to the front, because we can also give you a microphone. But, or you can ask me afterwards. Yeah, OK. But, but Louisa, I mean, thank you very much for that. It was, it was very um, uh, moving in many ways. And one of the things that strikes me is that your work has such a, a consistent quality that these different aspects, the cultural, the building performance, the uh, the atmospheric, the, you know, the, the uh, sort of performance in the sense of how it interacts with, yes. with, with your body is, is so seamless. And that, I so think, what? seamless. I would hope so. But, um, yeah, sorry, you should yeah. continue. No, no, I mean, I, I'm, 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 that was the answer I expected <laughs> because I, I think it, it, make, it makes such sense. If you think of the wall of the uh, Dresden building and the textures on it and the different colours on it, you can see that in the original drawings for it. And you can see it in the actual building. But there, you know, there seems to be such a, such a power of the idea that is then manifested in different stages. Now, no doubt, there are many different stages you have to go through from the drawing to the building. But it's still, it's all there. Yeah. Was that a question or a statement? Well, as you say, I suppose it's a statement. I suppose it's a statement. <laughs> yeah, I but, guess it's a sort of drive of, um, in fact, Freddie here in the second row. Mm. He, he worked on the Photonic Center, which I didn't show. Mm. Uh, one of us, in fact, first finished standalone building in Berlin. And he worked in particular on the competition, on the competition model. And at that stage, we had this sort of amoeba-shaped building. We knew we wanted to put color around the building and in, in the center, but we, we didn't know how. It was just a competition stage. We did have a double facade and things. But we made a model, or Freddie made the model, thank you, which was very suggestive. And it excited us, and presumably it excited the client. And I think that's the thing of representation. You mentioned drawings. I think making representations that are suggestive, maybe that don't tell the whole story, but suggest things and excite you as the creator or your team and, and the design team with engineers, everyone, and the client, that somehow that you have to have something driving the project. And I, I think representation is quite an important issue. Yes, yes. yes. And. And, and the, the, I mean, I've always been taken by your graphics because they are, I mean, they're, part, they're, they're recognizably architectural, but they push the nature of what an architectural image is to, to me, the use of line, the use of color. Mm. Yeah, I suppose this has been something we've been experimenting with since uh, we began. And in fact, the start of our practice in 88, we had, didn't have any commissions at all, so we could spend time drawing. 
um, which was a luxury. And then we'd actually redraw competition, lost competitions, we'd draw them again. And it's a sort of like a therapy. In fact, the Smithsons did that as well. Mm. People in their office mm. would redraw the competitions for the books and whatever. So it's a sort of working over things and thinking over things and thinking through your hand. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's... How, and in fact, we did start... We literally did start with color and atmosphere on the London small projects. And then when we did the GSW competition, we realized, hey, we can use it on the city scale. And so we just yeah. tried it. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, when you go into um, you know, art gallery design, for, and I'm thinking of the Brandhorst in particular, yes. um, and you've got a really challenging series of paintings on a really challenging subject by yes. Sy Twombly. Yes. And yes. Yet, and, and in a sense, that's where you use a delicacy of form, you know, the gentle curve that allows each of those mm. paintings to be seen as an individual image rather than, as it were, a series of frames. Mm. Um, so, there's, so in a sense, there's the working with other people's color and other people's yes. textures. Yeah, that was quite, yeah, it was quite a challenge. Um, mm. But uh, they had previously, this cycle of 12 paintings had previously been shown uh, in a rectangular room. In fact, we saw them in the Prado, in the Moneo extension, and they were shown, mm. I think, four, four, or three, 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 around a square with a hole in the middle, a sort of square donut. It was very unsatisfactory because the idea by Twombly was that it's a, a one day in the Battle of Lepanto, which is the most awful, bloody battle in the Mediterranean, and uh, in 1576, you probably know, 15, you're the historian. 1571. 1571, thank you. I thought it was some six, now I've learned from Jeremy. <laughs> and um, uh, the, the amount of, and it's literally, I think it's more or less the 12 hours of the day, and the amount of blood and red of the setting sun sort of increases as you go through. It's very moving uh, series, and you can make out boats, and it really was, I don't know what you say with naval battles, but it was one of the last hand-to-hand, -hand. it's a strange analogy for a naval battle, but it was very uh, physical, and... Um, the idea of Twombly was that this is a series and not that the, 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 different, the, the sort of uh, connection between painting number two, one and two is similar to that between five and six or three and four, i.e. you shouldn't have a rectangular wall in between. And so what we realized is making a trapezium form that we then lined with a very soft um, form with swept curves is that when you come into the room and you move your head as if you're looking at a big horizon on the sea, you could actually get that sweep of space and time. And he said, Cy Twombly was rather sparing with his praise. Um, and he once came and looked at our model and uh, he said it was okay. <laughs> and I think that was the highest praise. And then he saw, when he saw the space as it was under construction, he got so excited, and there was another big space in that museum of 450 square meters on the same floor that uh, we used to call the Warhol Room because uh, the piss painting was the largest, or is the largest in the collection at 10 meters long. And uh, Twombly said, I want that room too, to the client. And so he then painted paintings for the room. So it was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. He created the, it's called another Rosen Rum. Anyway, well, so it was a, a different way around. That, I mean, I think that's, that's a, a good note to finish on. And yes. If you're happy to take some questions. I'm very happy. That. I would um, love, I don't, I like having questions. I don't like not having questions. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the final point I wanted to make though, um, is that uh, the church, I kept on thinking of the organ playing Bach's great choral, not Bach, um, Luther, and Festerberg is Unser God. Which, 
I'm sure I don't need to translate. I needn't have my, my German being extremely poor. Sorry, can you say... I, 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 I was thinking of, uh, of, of Luther's great chorale, or the Luther, Luther's chorale, yes. and Festerberg is unser Gott. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, a, a mighty fortress is our God, I yes. think, is a, yes. is a, is a, is a yeah. translation. So, Louisa, thank you very much well, for a wonderful talk. Me.